All right, so I want to start by asking y'all a, uh, a question. Is uh, What if I were to tell you, let's say, about a retirement plan that I tried to sell you on, where once you retire, you get this huge lump of money, and that the moment you retire, you were guaranteed to earn it, all right? So I give you a retirement plan. I say, like, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, as soon as you retire, you earn this money. How are you, how are you to respond to something like that? How does that sound to y'all? Fantastic, okay. How does that sound? Pretty good. Okay. What, what, if I, what if I were to say that that retirement, that money you would get would change based on how you lived and worked now, before you retired? How would that change things? How would that You would work so okay. much better. You'd work a little harder. How, what, what if I told you you could even earn more, let's say, in that retirement plan by giving more away while you were working? How would you respond to something like that? Why? Because at the end, it's a lot more worth it, right? Because you at least know the end goal that you are going to earn something. That in the end, you're going to earn something that's a lot more to where things now pale in comparison. Because, you know, okay, at the end, once I retire, once I finish, I will earn something. And so what I want you to know is this is exactly how it is as being a follower of Christ. That once we, once we repent and believe in Christ, we have earned salvation. We have secured eternity in heaven. But at the same time, that affects directly how we live now. In fact, how we interact with people, how we respond to people, or even so, if we realize that everything belongs to God, then it helps us hold a looser grip on things in this life. And it helps us change the way we view people. Why? Because the end goal is a lot more important than how we're living now. But the thing is, we as fallen sinful human beings, our natural desires, we want to accumulate all that we can, all right? We want to earn more material possessions. We want to gain more popularity. We want to gain more money, more followers in social media. We want to obtain so much more of these things. But when we look at this, when we look at this passage tonight, we're going to understand that honestly, all of that stuff pales in comparison and we're just supposed to give that stuff away. That, that we don't want to own any of that because knowing Christ is so much more worth it, but also like that we don't want to be competing with other people for these things because in the end it's not worth it. So that's what we're going to look at tonight is how you shall not retaliate looking at these different new commands that Christ is giving us. And the main point we're to have tonight is this on those notes is to be kingdom minded is to hold loosely to our rights and possessions. To be kingdom minded is to hold loosely to our rights and possessions. That we realize how much Christ has done for us, we will realize that, that it doesn't matter what is given or taken away. It doesn't matter what people try to do against us. That ultimately, and that Christ is enough, Christ is worth it. And it helps us honestly to respond from an eternal perspective in the here and now. And so, like I said, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. And so if you don't have your copy of God's Word, it's going to be on the back side of your notes so you can follow along. So I'm going to read that for us real quick, and we're going to just jump right in. So here's what it says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray as we come before your word. Um, 
that you'll help us listen, that you'll help us just tune in to what you have to tell us, that, that by the preaching of your word, you'll be glorified and honored. And through that, Holy Spirit, you will just uh, convict us of maybe sins we have in our heart. Would you encourage us maybe with victory that we have had in you through some of these things maybe we see, that all of it will ultimately help us conform us more into the image of Christ to glorify him and to make his name known. So right now in these next few minutes, would you just help us free us of any distractions from our phones, from our neighbors, from maybe just um, anything going on in our personal lives or school lives or whatever else and just let us listen to your word let us help us grow to become the people of god you've called us to be the family of god you've called us to be to continually make christ's name known so hide me behind your cross your word and let your word speak for itself we pray this in jesus name amen all right so there's two main points that um that jesus wants to get out of this passage if we are to live this thought to live this main point live this truth to hold our possessions and rights very loosely. And the first one is this. We are to fight fire with faith. We are to fight fire with faith. So look what it says in the verse, like verse and a half, where it says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Again, so he's saying, you've heard it said of old. So he's referring back to, okay, people in the old covenant, the old Testament under the old law, this would be something they would be accustomed to, something they would know. And so this is a reference to different passages in Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, Deuteronomy, just about how we are to return an eye for an eye, or just basically how the crime fits, or the punishment fits the crime, is how they would talk about it. It was kind of called a proportionate retribution, if you want to hear kind of the fancy word for that. And so this was stuff that we maybe hear like, you ever heard of uh, Amurabi's Code? You ever heard something like that? Like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, kind of you return that for that. So it's basically saying like whatever the crime was, you have a punishment that matches that crime. And so the reason for this Old Testament law is that it would forbid any sort of, let's say, excessive punishment. So it would say an eye for an eye. It wouldn't say you could take two eyes for one eye or you could take a life for one eye. It would just say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That, that way it was to forbid any sort of excessive punishment for it. And so an example today would be like, let's say someone takes your shoes, you wouldn't try to take their house. Like that would be import, like that would not be proportionate because the punishment wouldn't match the crime. And so the Old Testament law would forbid a lot of that. And in fact, um, it would go against something just a few chapters prior in Leviticus where it talks about this. In Leviticus 19.18, it talks about how we are to not seek personal revenge. Instead, it says, you shall not seek revenge or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Instead, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. Where have we heard that before? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard it in the great commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, all of the laws and commands are contingent upon this fall and are ushered upon this. And so we look at how we are to respond to other people and love other people. And what I want us to get out of this is this. We must, not, we must seek personal reconciliation, not personal vengeance. We must seek personal reconciliation, not vengeance. So, it's, of course, it's so easy for us, right? When we feel like we've been wronged, it's easy for us to want to respond back the same way. We feel like someone has slighted us. We feel like someone has treated us wrongly. We feel like someone has mistreated us in some way, shape, or form. We want to respond in a similar fashion. So let me ask you this, that I want you just to think about yourself. When you feel wronged, how do you respond? Whether it be internally, whether it be externally, how do you respond emotionally? How do you respond physically? How do you respond when you feel like you've been wronged? Or think about this, has there been a time in your life where you feel like a person has, let's say, backstabbed you? Or maybe someone has lied to you, 
Or maybe someone has stole from you. Maybe someone has gossiped against you. Maybe someone has hurt you physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. How did you feel? And how did you respond to that sort of situation? But here's what I want you to know, though. In these things, I am not saying, I'm not saying that your emotions are not valid when you feel some of these things. I'm not saying your emotions are not valid. Your emotions are absolutely valid in feeling some of these things, the way maybe you have felt wronged or backstabbed or lied to or gossiped about. They're absolutely valid. And maybe that person did sin against you. And yes, if they sin against you, that is absolutely an issue. But above all else, we need to understand this. They have sinned against God. And we must have them understand that they have sinned against God above all else because if they don't realize that they've sinned against God, then they won't change. And so the person sees that they've sinned against God because they've sinned against you. So think about this. You ever heard the phrase like, you fight fire with fire? You ever heard that one? Well, what happens when you fight fire with fire? Well, the fire gets bigger. Like when we fight fire with fire, it gets bigger and bigger. And what happens? More and more people get burned because of that. More and more people get burned because of that. And so when we try to give in to those desires of revenge, we feel like we've been personally wrong. We try to take that under control and seek retaliation against that person. We are assuming a role that we do not have. That only God solely has this sort of uh, position as the one that can rightfully get vengeance on someone else. Why? Because he is just in his judgment. He is just in his retribution. He is just in giving out punishment that matches the crime. And so that's what we are to look at. Because remember, we looked at anger. When anger consumes us, when anger consumes us, then it just burns other people and it leads to sin in our hearts and even potentially sins we physically commit besides just internally committing. But again, not saying that anger is wrong, not saying that anger is not valid, but we are to submit that to God and ultimately let him be the ultimate judge of that. Because here's the thing, one day he will right every wrong. One day he will, everyone, every evil person that's done evil deeds will have to give an account for what they've done. And also every, per, every righteous person that is in Christ will be vindicated. They will. And so, but until then, we need to live out this verse in verse 39a where it says, do not resist the evil one. Okay, so if we're not to do an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, if we're to not resist the evil one, then what does that mean? To resist means to be against or express opposition to. And evil means like one who does harm to others. So someone who does harm to others in whatever manner or form that is, and we're to not resist that person. In fact, this do not resist that who is evil is referencing 1 Peter 2.23, where it says, when, we, when he was reviled, talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So this is a reference to Jesus and how he lived and responded to those people who did evil against him. And if, and if I can say one thing, if there's anyone that has truly been wronged, truly been backstabbed, truly been, had any sort of evil done against him, it is Jesus. I mean, think about this. He was falsely accused. He was backstabbed by one of his own disciples for 30 pieces of silver. He was slapped. He was spit on. He had his beard pulled out. He had 39 lashes to his back. He, was, he carried his own cross while bleeding out to the place that he was going to ultimately die. He had nails driven into his wrists. He died on a criminal's cross in between two criminals. The Son of God, the promised Messiah, dying on a criminal's cross in between two people. He had people casting lots for his garments. And on top of that, he had people mocking him, saying, all right, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you come down? Here lies the king of the Jews. They're mocking through this whole thing. You know what Jesus did? Jesus could have responded. Jesus could have cast down a legion of angels to come and defend him and get him off the cross because at the same time, he was the son of God. 
While he was dying on the cross, he was sovereignly holding the entire world together. But you know what he did? While all this is going on, all these things have happened to him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If there's anyone in history that has been wronged, it is Jesus. But think about this. If Jesus did not seek vengeance against those who wronged him, then what is our excuse? If Jesus did not seek vengeance, but instead trusted God the Father as the one who judges justly, as it says in 1 Peter 23, then that sets an example for us to follow. That gives us an example for us to follow. And the beautiful thing is, since Christ has lived this out and he knows that we cannot live this out on our own strength and our own power, he gives us the grace to be able to do this. In fact, by his grace, we can trust God's judgment over our own judgment. We can, trust, we can trust God's judgment over our own judgment, but it's only by his grace. It's only by his power. Why? Because we know we can't do this on our own. If we try to take vengeance to our own hands, it says our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. That we need to have them replaced with a heart of flesh, and it's only Christ that can do that. Because naturally, our desires, we want to gain stuff for ourselves. We want to make ourselves number one. If we feel like we've been wronged, then we want to return serve and, and return the favor to those people. That is what we, that's what we feel like we rightfully deserve. But instead, we understand that Christ is the one that didn't even respond with vengeance. Instead, he responded with love and grace, and he trusted God above all else. He trusted his judgment. And so if Christ lives that out, then that gives us an example for us to follow. That instead of fighting fire with fire, we fight fire with faith. And so when we do that, when we fight fire with faith, we're able to live out this second truth of holding our possessions loosely. And that is this, that we are to overcome evil with love. We are to overcome evil with love. So over these next last few verses in 39b to like the end of 42, uh, Jesus gives us four examples that we are to live out. He gives us four examples of how we are to not resist the evil one. So the first one is slapped on the cheek. So 39b, it says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turns him the other also. So what I want us to do is I want us to see in each one of these examples what has happened and how we see how we are to respond and how we see Christ respond to this and already live this out, okay? Because above all else, it's going to live out. Romans 12, 17 kind of captures the rest of this where it says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all because that will ultimately be a witness to everyone. So the first one is being slapped on the cheek. So it says if someone slaps you on your right cheek, you turn the other to him also. So basically trying to give a backstory, like give background, this would be basically like a backhanded slap. And so that kind of seems weird at the time, but apparently that was like a bigger, greater insult than let's say like an open palm slap with your left hand. Apparently just at the time, that was just how it was. And apparently this backhanded slap would be the greatest expression of contempt and would be extreme abuse to people. And so this is an extreme thing. Like this is like the greatest form of disrespect you could do. And normally it'd be like a personal dispute that would lead to this. It could be an argument. It could be whatever else that just boils over and leads to, let's say, so much being slapped across the cheek. But what does it say? Instead, we are to turn the other cheek to them rather than raise our hand to them. In fact, we see this in Matthew 26, 67, where it says Jesus was spit on and slapped at. But instead, he continued to walk the cross. Like I said, if anyone had any right to return serve, it was Jesus. And he was slapped and spit on. But instead, he still carried his cross to Calvary's hill to die for those same people. The second example he gives us in verse 40 about a cloak and a tunic. So here's what it says. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So again, this is over like a legal dispute 
where a person has to, let's say, supply one shirt for payment for, let's say, collateral damage for a debt. And so that kind of sounds weird to us, but like a tunic or a shirt at this time was actually pretty valuable. It'd be like an undergarment that you would have and it'd be something they would use in bartering. So like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty expensive. Like it was a pretty big deal for you to be sued on that and have to pay for that. But the coat, the cloak, as it says, hey, if someone takes your tunic, instead give them your cloak or coat on top of that. In fact, in Jewish court, it was such a big deal to not take someone's coat or cloak. Why? Because it was something they would have over themselves. It would keep themselves warm. And even for the poor, it would like double as like a blanket to keep themselves warm. In fact, the Jewish courts held such a high regard to this that they would say it would be too severe of a punishment to even take their coat. But, but Jesus saying here, hey, if someone sues you and takes your tunic or takes your shirt, you go the extra mile and give himself your coat or cloak. That, that you are so more focused on reconciliation instead of over winning some sort of legal dispute. Think about this. Jesus had every right to do anything like this. But instead, Jesus, instead of standing up for his rights, he went above and beyond and paid a record of debt in full and closed us with his righteousness. In fact, here's where we are to have our attitudes. Our attitudes towards our possessions and rights is supposed to be this. It's supposed to be radically unselfish. Radically unselfish. Because as we see in this, is that we're so more focused on personal reconciliation rather than vengeance. Saying, you know what, if I have wronged this person, if this person, even if this person's wronged me and they take my shirt, I want to go the extra step. And I want to give them this coat, this cloak to warm them. Because above all else, instead of being physically cloaked, I want them to be spiritually clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That that is much more important than me just simply having the shirt off my back. Why? Because we can get another shirt. We can get another coat. We can get more material possessions. But eternity is a long time. Salvation is so important above all else. The third example is we're to go a second mile. So in verse 41, it says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So again, a backstory, background to this, is at this time, again, they were living under Roman rule. And so what Roman, what Roman soldiers would do, anybody that was subjugated under them, is they would force them to carry some sort of heavy load on their back for a mile, whatever it was. They would force them to carry it for a full mile. Now, they would never go over a mile. Some kind of dispute, if that was just kind of a law put in place. But above all else, kind of the two major consensus they held is, well, one, Obviously, someone's going to be tired after carrying a heavy load on your back for a mile. Some of us get tired from going to one class to another carrying our backpack, all right? So imagine trying to carry a heavy load on our back from one mile. That's going to be exhausting. But the second one is they didn't want to anger anybody uh, to people that they were subjugated underneath them. But instead, how we were to respond is we're to walk the first mile out out of just obligation to them. But then we're to walk a second mile out of love and service. So, all right, if we're going to go a mile, we're going to go a second mile beyond that. Because that is such a great example of Christ and pointing them to him. In fact, think about this. Jesus did this exact same thing in Matthew 27, 32. Where Jesus going out and they picked Simon of Cyrene and saying, I need you to help carry this man's cross. And Simon of Cyrene helped Jesus carry his cross. But Jesus also carried his cross to Calvary's hill to pay the penalty for all of their sins for all of time. Including these Roman soldiers who were forcing him to do this. So these first three examples are to have us as followers of Christ not continue, let's say, a chain of evil actions that the world would live out. That, that we're not to live out these first three examples of, let's say, slapping someone on the cheek, of not, let's say, taking someone's shirt, or even responding in such a way that we force someone to carry a heavy load. In fact, and this sums up Romans 12, 21, where it says, do not, overcome, uh, don't, do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. 
And so that leads us to this. We must not respond to evil. We must respond to evil with service, not scorn. We must respond to evil with service, not scorn. Then we have evil stuff done against us. Instead of raising our hand or instead of trying to stand up on our rights and counter sue or to do whatever else, instead we are to return back and serve them just as Christ would serve them. Because ultimately that points them to him. Because think about it, if we return serve, we respond the same way the world does, then we look exactly like the world. But then we see this last example, example number four, in verse number 42, where it says, Give to those who beg from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow, who would borrow um, from you. So this last one, this one is like someone just based on their basic needs, like the basic necessities of life that someone needs. And this would be where, like, let's say someone's begging. It would be a great opportunity for someone to seek personal vengeance on this person because they wouldn't need to give them their basic needs. They wouldn't need to give them their basic necessities on this. But Jesus is saying, no, we are not to respond that. We, as followers of Christ, we are to be different. Because, again, we are to seek personal reconciliation, not personal vengeance. Because, again, that goes against us. We're trying to restore broken relationships, not break up relationships even more. In fact, we see a few of these. In Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Proverbs 21, 26, all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Or Luke 6, 34 through 35, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So here's the thing. Christ gave us what we needed more than anything we could pay back. So when we think about this, when we were sinners, we were enemies of God, God could have sought personal vengeance on us because we have sinned against him. We have sinned against a holy and perfect God. So what's deserving is a holy and perfect judgment and punishment. And it says the wages of sin is death. But instead, he sent his son to die for us, pay for a record of debt in full, and to forgive us of our sins. So what we see out of all these is this. We are to put others' needs before our own convenience. We're to put others' needs before our own convenience. So think about this. When we see what Christ has done, we live differently. When we use, like, think about this. We used to be this evil one doing this harm against other people. But if we are in Christ, Christ helps us respond to those people. Because we respond as the world does. We look no different than the world, and it hinders our witness. But here's the thing. We are no longer living for the world. We are removed from the world, living for the world to come, and to point people to him so that way they, they can be in the world to come too. That way they can have salvation on top of that. This helps us hold loosely to our possessions and rights. Because when we realize this, we realize that we don't deserve any of this. We realize that we don't deserve any of this and that all of it belongs to Christ. That it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Think about this. We have sinned against God and the proper judgment and punishment for sin against the holy and perfect God is death. God could have sought revenge. He could have sought vengeance. According to the Old Testament law, he would have every right. He would have every right to return an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because the punishment would fit the crime. That we have sinned against the holy and perfect God, so we deserve righteous wrath. But here's the thing. He did not do that. Because think about this. People that return an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that Jesus could have returned serve on that. Think about who Jesus is talking to in this. He's talking to his disciples. You know who two of those disciples are? Peter, who's going to deny him three times in his biggest moment of need. 
and Judas, who's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's who Jesus is talking to about not returning an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but instead he dies for these people. He's sent to die for us. Think about this. Instead of Jesus responding to contempt for us or these people, he responded with compassion. Instead of taking everything from us like he could have, he gives us everything by dying on the cross. Think about this. All these things we saw about striking someone on the cheek and taking someone for their shirt and making someone carry their cross and making sure we hold back from not giving a need. You know what that is? That's us for Christ. Think about this. We are the ones that struck Christ across the cheek every time that we sin. But Jesus says that I forgive you. Think about this. He responds with us with compassion. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are the ones that take everything. We try to take everything from creation. We take all the glory from him. But you know what he does? Instead, he wants to give us something greater. He wants to not only give us a shirt, but he wants to give us the cloak off his back and clothe us in his righteousness. We are the ones that mocked him when he was carrying his cross saying crucify him, mocking him, spitting on him, beating him, making fun of him on the way. But you know what he did? He still faithfully carried his cross to Calvary's hill and died to forgive us for all of our sins for all of time. We are the ones that are in desperate need. We're the ones who must borrow but can never give in return. And instead, Jesus gives us everything. He gives us salvation. He covers our full sins with his righteousness. He gives us eternal life. We can never pay him back with any of that stuff. If there's anyone who has any right to retaliate, it is God himself. But instead of giving us retaliation, he gave us salvation. He could have returned, sir. He could have returned anything, but he gave us salvation. He gave us his son. When we come to realization of this truth in the gospel, it radically changes everything about us. But how we view our possessions, how we interact with others... We see how desperately we need Christ every single day because we still fight against those urges to retaliate. We still fight against those urges to want to gain more for ourselves. We fight against that. So we hold loosely to our rights and possessions because all of it belongs to God and all of it should be used to glorify God. Instead of responding to others with contempt, we respond with compassion. Why? Because we were once where they were. We were once those evil ones doing harm against other people. But we are no longer if we are in Christ. We want those people to ultimately receive salvation. And they won't do that if we are responding the same way the world does. We are to live not, we're to live above the world. We're to live something, we're to live in the world but not be of the world and point people to the world to come. That's what we're to do. So instead of trying to resolve dispute, we should be seeking to resolve disputes, to seek reconciliation. But above all else, have those people seek reconciliation with Christ. And our possessions are merely a tool that give us uh, a way to point others to him. So let me close this out with this. Let me ask you these two questions I want you to think about. Are you using your possessions for the glory of God or for your own glory? And lastly, how are you responding to personal disputes in your life? Are you responding more like the world would respond? Where they'd be like, well, he's justified. That's just karma. That's just what he gets. What goes around comes around. Fight fire with fire. He, well, he deserved it. Here's the thing. None of us deserve anything when we view the cross. Yeah, we receive everything from the cross. So how are you responding to personal disputes in your life? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray us. Uh, I'm just going to pray us out. And after that, we will be dismissed um, just because we're so short on time. We're over. So thank you for your patience on kind of all the technical difficulties and working through this. I'm going to pray us out. I mean, we'll be dismissed. And then I'm just going to ask you to put all of the notes and pens back up. Um, and then if you want to stay behind and talk, we can. But let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. 
Dear Lord, thank you just so much just for your son, Christ. Thank you for your word to teach us more about him. Thank you for the example that Christ gives us where he died on the cross and he paid for all the penalty, for all of our sins, for all of time, how he has every right to retaliate against us, every right to seek vengeance. But instead, he looks at us with compassion, not contempt. Instead of giving us retaliation, he gives us salvation. So Lord Jesus, would you help us look to you? Would you help us fight against these urges to return, serve for other people? Would you help us fight against these urges to collect things for ourselves? Would you help us hold our rights and possessions loosely? Because we know ultimately all of them belong to you. Would you help us be people that live for you, that point others to you, that we will not scorn others, but we will serve others? Will you help us not seek personal vengeance, but seek personal reconciliation? That through your gospel, you will heal broken relationships, that you will bring dead lives back to life. And that you'll be ultimately glorified and honored through us. It's only by your son, Jesus, that we can do this. And it's in his holy, precious name we pray. Amen.